0: If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now.
1: We in the African-American community, we don't deal with mental health issues. We don't even talk about it. We've been taught to pray our problems away. Um, We've been demonized for coming out saying we have issues, Uh, And we have trust issues. The children that are committing suicide are getting younger and younger. I just, it breaks my heart to know that five-year-old children are contemplating life and death.
0: Welcome to Disruption Now, I'm Rob Richardson. It's a pleasure to have you on again. If you just got a chance to hear that, that's, that's Taraji P. Henson, testifying in front of the Congressional Black Caucus about the state of emergency when it comes to mental health and mental health awareness in our community. We, you, are dying because of lack of awareness of mental health. Uh, it, it affects our relationships. It affects our communities. It affects how we interact. It affects our opportunities. and It affects how we feel about ourselves. But we often don't talk about it. But thankfully, that is changing now because of people like Taraja, Taraji uh, P. Henson, because of people like Charlemagne the God, because they are making the case front and center that it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to talk about these things. And I am honored to have Corey Miner-Smith, who is a friend of mine that I got a chance to meet when I was running for treasurer of the state of Ohio, she was, we were both, uh, I guess, uh, we won't call us partners in crimes. We'll call us partners and <laughs> partners in changing things. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> you were out there, uh, you were the first African-American elected statewide in the city of Canton. Is that correct?
1: Citywide in Canton. Citywide. Yes. Citywide. Yes. yes.
0: And, um, You know, unfortunately, she had to step down, which I want to talk more about. But now she is uh, back in the private sector, and one of her passions is actually making sure that our community is more aware of uh, mental health awareness. And of course, this is Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. So, uh, on disruption, I wanted us to talk about that because we want to challenge stereotypes here. We want to actually address things that others won't. And we know that people are often afraid to address mental health awareness or just unwilling to do so. So uh, I want to start there, uh, Corey, and and think about, you know, why you're passionate about this, uh, what you want to see happen. And why, why did you first of all, let's start here. Why did you get involved in the process?
1: Well, I mean, I personally have a passion regarding mental health awareness because my mother uh, lives with mental illness and it became a major responsibility for me as her only child. So it really became a focus of mine in college when my mother asked to live with me. And I was just trying to understand how other people who have a family member or love on with mental illness dealt with it. And I remember at that time, a TV movie came on featuring Diana Ross called Out of Darkness. And I was so determined to watch that movie just to try to get some kind of understanding of how other people dealt with having this issue in their household.
0: Talk a little more about that. So that you dealt with that with your mother, what challenges did you go through that, that you just didn't know and you want to make sure others know about? I know you have a book about this driven, correct? And can you give us a little insight?
1: Yeah. I mean, just a part of my own personal story. I went to 14 schools, lived in three states and eight different households. I was not always with my parents. And a lot of it may be attributable to the experiences that my mother had um, with her health, just not detected or diagnosed at the time. So I think it's important for families, for children, for just a community to know about the services that are available and to not be afraid to use those services to get through uh, the different circumstances that may come about having someone in your family or household that has a mental illness.
0: You know, um, w- one of our favorite authors is, is the author by the name of Robert Greene, um, and he has a book, The Laws of Human Nature. And when I think about what we're discussing now, he has he has one law in there that's that's called the law of irrationality. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, and it starts with this: the first step to being rational is to understand that you are yourself, you you are irrational. So when people think about mental illness, I I, I do believe there's this view of well, that's probably not me. I'm not. I don't have mental. Uh, I don't have mental issues. There's nothing wrong with me. Don't, don't label me that way, and doing that actually, I think, prevents you from having the growth that you need. Because I say, look, we're all a little bit crazy. Truth be told, and I, I think President Obama said this. You know, the goal of any parent is to pass on less of your craziness to your kids, and mm. you can't, <laughs> right? You can't do that unless you have some self-awareness, some self-evaluation, and it's a painful process. Um, you know. If you don't address these things, you'll you'll have problems in your relationships. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Lack of mental health awareness, I believe, is affecting. It affects all communities, but we're particularly talking about the African American uh, the African American community right now. Not addressing these issues uh, really affects the relationships we have with you know, loved ones that we seek out, you know, you, you, you end up getting into relationships with people because one of two things happen. One, you have some type of toxic characteristics that you're not aware of that you never got addressed uh, because you just don't think that's something you need to do. Or, you know, you've learned to accept things and you enter into a relationship with a toxic person and then you do it again and then you do it again and then you do it again, not realizing that that can be a mental health issue. What would you advise somebody uh, who is who 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 looks at mental health uh, and and thinks of it as just just a few people? It is not necessarily applicable to them.
1: Well, we just start off like with age. There is more and more awareness centered around children. I mean, even at birth and just different signs and when they are apparent in our children. So, first, starting off with the household and parents understanding and recognizing the importance of uh, pediatric appointments, going to those developmental appointments for their child, because many times the pediatricians now, I found like when I took my son to his like 12 year old physical, they started doing mental health uh, assessments on children at the pediatrician's office, just as a part of the normal physical, the um, just incorporating mental health in the physical aspect of an exam. And I think that that is important and for parents not to dismiss things that are uh, being told to them by the doctor to follow up, not to say that that doctor is right, but at least to get a second opinion and then to act on whatever um, the medical provider may be suggesting. So I think it starts there. And then sometimes it's not until the child starts school where the educator or the guidance counselor or school psychologist, someone is picking up on signs that your your child may display. I would suggest that parents not ignore those t- that type of information.
0: James. Well, yeah,
2: you, you raise a really interesting point in terms of now, you know, you see more proactivity as far as the, the a physician and a physical, which is by definition, a physical t- type of an examination, also looking at mental health. And to me, that the, the question I have is we have in our society across the board, like, it's divorced, you know, your mental health and your physical health, people understand they need to maintain their physical health, whether they do it or not, um, that it, your physical health can go bad. But there seems to be more of a stigma with mental health in terms of not really, really able to acknowledge that it can go bad, it can, you can put it in a better place, you can exercise it, you need to check for it and things like that. The, that mental stigma, though, how do we move past that? Or, 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 you know, and I know your efforts are a big part of that. So what do you see as effective in, in trying to move people past that?
1: Well, I really think that just simply talking about it, you know, having people like Taraji P. Henson or even Prince Harry, who has talked about his own depression. Unfortunately, I guess uh, the United States as a society, we glamorize celebrities, right? So when they show some level of human nature to themselves, like the issues that the regular person deals with, we, more are, we are more likely to accept and i think also the terms that we decide to use i know rob doesn't know you know push on you or anything but using words such as crazy or in like no, the movie no he's no i know <laughs> i know but the movie uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest you know right. people like they don't want to be associated with those terms so if we even even uh, mental health or saying mental illness there's a move away from that to say more like behavioral health versus mental mm-hmm. illness, right. and just incorporating as a full physical, the whole person, not separating it out, like you just mentioned, um, mental and physical, it's just the whole person, mm-hmm. and making sure your yeah. overall health is yeah. good.
0: No, and, and, and language is important, so, and, and I will definitely make sure to adopt that, and my, my goal in that is saying people are not as, I guess, normal as they think they are, or not as People need mental health. People need, I believe, I believe everybody should have counseling. I believe right. everybody should do some level of counseling. And I can say this, I'll be careful how I say this, but the person who's had a failed, uh, who's had a failed marriage, I will tell you, it is so, 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 so important. I think particularly if you're, uh, there's a lot of young people, but even older people, uh, we'll say seasoned people uh, <laughs> who, <laughs> who, who, who want to explore relationships Right. Should get counseling to know about their insecurities, their issues, because everybody has some type of issue. Everybody does. Uh, No one. No one's here. Perfect.
1: There was a basketball player that just spent time in a mental health facility. I watched the Red Table talking. So he was just recently on with Jada and her mom's uh, daughter. And I can't remember his name right now, but anything could be a trigger, something that you have totally blocked out. And you don't know until some incident happens. And it's a trigger. And that caused him to be in a mental health facility and then to remember what happened to him as a child. And um, unfortunately, that does happen to a lot of adults. But the importance is once something like that happens, that you actually go ahead and get treatment, not be ashamed or afraid to have the treatment for it. Any of us are susceptible of having a breakdown at any given time, you know, losing a job like you mentioned, divorce. Just life issues can be a significant trigger for individuals that they don't even realize could put them in a place where they cannot come out of the darkness.
2: And we recognize this with physical ailments. You know, you can everybody recognizes you can walk along the street and twist your ankle and you may need to get treatment for that uh, or anything like that. And so, you know, the if we can just take that mindset, you know, a lot of, you know, you see like Eastern philosophy where they do look at the mind and body as, you know, more holistically. And so, you know, if we could do that more here where just understand that, hey, yeah, sometimes something can happen and it can knock you off-center, you know, like right. normal is kind of a word that is, it's a loaded word, you know, because each exactly. person's center is different, exactly. you know, and right. so... You know, what's normal is more so just trying to find your own center, but to, to help you re center yourself after this event or just after the accumulation. You know, like I think, Rob, well, your point is everybody should have counseling or somebody to talk to at the bare, bare minimum because just the strain of life will take you yes. in various places. Absolutely. And then you end up five years after just ongoing st- stress where you're like, oh man, how did I get here?
0: Yep. Right. And I also want to add to that I, I, the other thing that, that we should look at is that decisions that we think we're making consciously, we often make subconsciously. It, the habits we develop in our brain, many of which are bad habits, we all have them. And we think we're making these decisions consciously, we're not. So before we even get to having a traumatic event, you know, that is, of course, a time to go and make sure that you seek uh, counseling that you get, that that you make sure you're talking to someone. I'm saying as we go along, understanding our own irrationality, our own lack of control that we think we we think we we like to think of ourselves as having complete control, completely autonomous. But the truth is, we are not, and it's human mm-hmm. nature not to be. And, and embracing that is what I was trying to get to. I did it in a very inartful way, but that's what <laughs> I was trying. I was trying to get to the point of. That's what we all need to do in order to be, uh, you know, more complete in order to be, have more peace within ourselves. As, as kind of James said, it's not about, there's no such thing as normal, whatever it takes for you to be centered and for you to, to be happy and for you to, uh, be successful and, and to not be stressed out when you don't have to be. I mean, that is that is, a, that is becoming, if you're, you're seeing mindfulness, you're seeing this uh, come out more now than you have in a long time, and I want to actually talk a little bit about that. When you think about the role of social media in, in this day and age, and what role and effect do you think that medium of human communication is having on us? How is that, from your perspective, from your work, how do you see that affecting, particularly, I think, the new generation who has had who's had social media really ingrained in them uh, from the very beginning. Uh, do you see some inherent challenges there? And, and if you do, what do you think we should do about it?
1: Well, I see good and bad in social media, and it's really about how a person chooses to use it. Um, you know, some people, it can make them feel inferior by seeing positive posts of others and their successes, and maybe they don't feel that like they're as successful, but I see it also as a positive because I follow certain uh, pages that are for mental health uh, related advocacy or individuals that are dealing with different uh, behavioral health issues and it had from what i see on the different posts it gives people an outlet to be able to express how they're feeling at the time and maybe someone else is feeling the same way and they can discuss how they address those issues but the bad of it is for those who choose to use it for like bullying or intimidating other people or just putting out their hatred. And it's unfortunate that we have to deal with those aspects, but again, I'm taking it back to the household. It's important for the parents to teach their child how to use social media if they're going to allow them to use it, and also interpreting what they see, not only on social media, but just the internet period. Because people can pull up an article on the internet and just because they see it in black and white is the truth. You have to understand about the importance of researching checking citations, if you will, and um, understanding whether information is accurate or just someone putting up their propaganda.
0: Yeah. We, you know, the, with, with the Internet, uh, the way I think about it is that human nature, people are going to want to get on there. And the people that are and, and I'm not blaming them per se, but. You know those in silicon valley they they understand what they're doing they have a there's a trigger there's a response like, <laughs> yes. "Oh ding, I gotta check and humans by nature, and this is not going to change, humans compare themselves to other people and then you know so you have now a whole generations looking like oh my gosh he he or she has a boat, their life is great, I suck, I'm just in college and it's easy it's easy to have that comparison, and it's natural I think and we and so i I don't think we're going to be able to pull people off of social media and I'm not saying that's the answer, but I guess there has to be an, uh, a method, a systems of habits that we teach our kids because we had look, even, even I, nobody here grew up with social media. The internet, I can say pretty safely everyone here, the internet was on the tail end of our development. Like the internet just started coming to the to the situation it is now when I was in college. So my brain was mostly formed, but I can tell you still now. Being really honest, I have times I've looked on social media, and I and I think I have like, geez, I don't think I'm doing like, well, you know, what I need to do. I see, I see, X Y Z person is ahead of me, and like, what am I doing wrong? I can say honestly that I've been on social media and have felt not good about myself before. So I can't imagine what it's like for a teenager dealing with what teenagers have to deal with, and then having a whole platform where everyone is constantly at just mega speeds instantly comparing themselves to everyone across the yeah. world. So
1: in real time. Yeah.
0: In real time.
1: Yeah. Because it's really kind of like just another platform, right? Like when we grew yeah. up you we had right on magazine, right.
0: <laughs> and yeah. other yep. um,
1: forms of media, magazines, TV that, you know, remember the show, what was that? Robin Leach, the lifestyle of the rich and famous. Mm-hmm. Those yep. were, were the, the scales, if you will, or, or, Um, the uh, measurements of success uh, for certain individuals if they chose to watch those types of things and compare them, their lives to it. MTV but it is, was another Yeah, one. all of that, all yeah. of yep. that. <laughs> so but now it's, it's with you every second, balancing. right? Everybody has a
0: phone, right? The Real phone time. triggers you. Like there's been research done that even when your phone, when your phone's not ringing, you feel it ringing because it, it's already programmed you to pick it up. So, <laughs> I, 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 I believe we're going to have to do some really serious introspection about social media, not if we're going to use it, because I think it's such a, it can be such a useful tool. It's right. about the how, and we really. Have to and educate Using it parents.
1: responsibly. Using right. it future, responsibly.
0: Future generations would you would think would be
2: more sophisticated in using that, um, because the transition period that we're in now, um, the, the the ones that are smart, you know, and and also just it'll become more established in society on how you use these things, or almost becoming desensitized to these things. But the point of the formative years is still, I think, very is something we need to take very seriously because every generation to some degree has to learn some of the same lessons. It it doesn't all transfer over. Um, You know, everybody, every generation after the first one that discovered fire didn't have to reinvent fire, but particularly (laughs) interpersonal type of things, each generation has to learn a lot of that stuff. And that's where you get social media where you wonder how, it's going to, how that level of sophistication then will play out, you know, with the younger generation. Okay, next generation after this one, you know, the the lessons they'll learn and hopefully, you know, us and generations after us will be able to teach them. So it, it's worrisome. <laughs> it, gotta- it
0: is worrisome. I, I do worry about it. And uh, I, I, I want to get Tunde, and look like you wanted to say something. Uh, Tunde, did you have a... I think what you guys have, have made me realize is that I think what social media
3: has done unintentionally has created more triggers, more avenues for triggers than I think you know we all thought it would have You know, 15, 20 years ago when all this stuff was still in the invention and discovery phase. When everyone thought that this freedom of speech and everybody just being able to spew all their mental information out at any given time uh, would be actually a great thing, I, and I, I, have think-
0: one, I have one point of disagreement there. I do think it was intentional cognitive science done by those <laughs> who were corporations who, who actually studied the brain and how it worked and how you would be able to trigger more people to create, to to
3: create more engagement
0: correct yeah. create more engagement no matter right. what
3: I, I think though like in a lot of things i'm not going to be that um broadly conspiratorial i think there are obviously <laughs> yeah, but i think there are uh, researchers and people that that do know this stuff i think that right. kind of permeates over time once the platform's there and, and, there and to your those. point
0: I, I don't think it was that like they did it to say, I don't think they thought that this would trigger an increase in suicides. I, that I agree with. Yeah, I'm just. But, uh, but but I don't think they have given given much thought to what the consequences are. Just well, how yeah, do we get I the engagement. see that. Like
3: yeah. I, yeah, I don't think Zuckerberg was in his um, uh, Harvard dorm room trying to exactly <laughs> trying to trying to increase suicide rates. Um, but I do think to your point, uh, when these platforms are created. Then there's those with other interests that can get in there and kind of, you know, um, put their own spin on it. And also, you've got seven and a half, almost eight billion people in the world now. So remember, I think we hit a billion in the year 1800. So human beings have also not been as close to each other as we are now to, 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 to kind of have to deal with each other with all these different personality traits. But it goes back to like Jimmy's example of the sprained ankle. Like 100% of us are going to hurt something some point if you live a full life to, let's say, 80 years old.
1: Right. But,
3: and don't think twice about it. You know? right, yeah, we don't think about a sprained ankle the same way we do about a short-term depression because you had a bad breakup. But yet they should be thought of as something absolutely coverable. I would,
0: I would, I would, I would argue even more because the mental affects everything else. So, yeah, uh, I want to, I, I want to go back to Corey for a second. Or and,
2: just for the sake of completeness, though, uh, yes. I believe that was the NBA, NBA player Keon Dooling that you're speaking of that was on the uh, on JDP? I
1: cannot say for sure, but if, okay. it, yeah, he would if he was the one that was on the red table talking. It was recently, then yeah, yes. like May. Yes.
0: Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. So. Suicide rates, I want to say there is, uh, you know, uh, Taraji uh, P. Henson talked about kids now contemplating their life at five. Yes. Um, You know, what do we do about that? And do you think social media has anything to do with that? If it's not social media, what do we do? we have kids that are, we, we certainly see an increase at least, or maybe we're measuring it more, but I, I do believe there's been enough data to show there has been increase in suicide rates for African-Americans, but for, but, but for everybody, is it because of social media? Is it because I think we celebrate this a little bit. Um, if you looked at, I think Netflix had a whole series about suicide, right? 13 reasons why, mm-hmm. like, what is the reason for this and what can we do to address this? Or What do you see your organizations do to address this increase in suicide rates, particularly with our, with our young people?
1: Well, here in Stark County, um, we had an issue right with one of our school districts where there were six students from one high school that committed suicide, like within the first semester Uh, of the school year. And then throughout the county total, I believe there were like 12 students throughout Mm -hmm. our county that had committed suicide. And it was like, what is going on? You know, there were rumors of something called the Blue Well Challenge, but then others were saying that that wasn't a real thing. So not quite sure if there was any kind of connection to any of the suicides. Um, One was like a double uh, suicide, but outside of that whether any of them throughout the county were connected is unknown but what the community did was to try to come together in particular that school district and have an events to help uh, students understand their value and to know that they had support in the community even our local paper and news outlets joined together with the mental health facilities or organizations to put a uh, a little mini magazine together to show all the different support and just things that were tailored specifically to teenagers. Um, I don't know if we know more about the suicides because of all of the media and social media that we have, because bullying has been around like forever. You know, when I was younger, even if you remember different strokes and they had the geek what was his name the Gooch, he was the bully, you know, to Arnold, <laughs> yeah. the bullying has been around, but has it gone to the extreme of causing students to commit suicide? Or are we hearing about it more because we have access to social media and news is spreading more where it's not on the traditional news outlets, but it's more easily released on social media?
0: Yeah, because kids are even committing suicide on social media. It's a it's apparently a thing. Uh, yeah. so, but that's unknowable, though.
2: Yeah. Um, like you can't we because the unknown variable is something in the past that wasn't measured. Exactly. We, right. We can't like, which is which really handicaps the analysis, though. Because if we could really, so, like we should sound the alarm bells. Obviously, no matter what. But right. if this
0: was a sharp uptick
2: from 50 years ago, then it'd be
0: like, hey, well, I think what, it is a sharp. I think the data is there that there's a sharp uptick in the number of suicides for people this age. That that's that that's been pretty that that's been well established. I, I guess the. I guess the question is, I just don't know why. I mean, well, in- I, I want to jump in too because I think we can't put it past.
3: Um, or can't forget about the idea that so many young people today are medicated. Mm. Um, you know, one thing that I've noticed, you know, let's say aside from some of the mass shootings, like the guy in Vegas who was 52 years old. When I when I look at the mass shootings that we've had in this country over the last 10, 15 years and whenever it's someone that's under 30, I mean, it seems like every single time there's some you hear about that they were on meds, that there was some mental health issue and kind of the whole thing. And sometimes I wonder, it's like, it's almost like if there's a big pot and you put all this stuff in together, the meds, the social media, the pressures with society, um, just the the lack of, uh, you know, the kind of latchkey parenting, you kind of put it all together and it kind of, you stir it up. And I think it does create a different environment for a human child that's growing up in a society that we may have had prior in history. And, um, and to the point that's been made a little bit here, I think our technology, I think we're hitting that point where technology is advancing clearly at a rate that's more rapid than we can evolve biologically in terms of our mind. And it's, and to your point, Rob, from earlier, I think it's like, we got to retrain ourselves as a society, how we're going to deal with all this technology. Like we should be teaching kids in school right now. Like, probably starting in middle school, how to deal with social media, like having a class about that. Mm. And, and, and That's, a That's a good point. point that feel like they're bullied, you know? And I mean, those are things cause we're still teaching like in the early 20th century agrarian way, like everybody's going to go work the farm when they get out of school at two o'clock in the right. afternoon. And right. I think we just need to ad- approach our society in a way and and deal with a lot of this stuff in a way that the technology has forced us to evolve. But, we don't want to. You know
0: what? That, that's actually, uh, the, that's a really, that's a good, that's a good point to transition to talk about kind of community trauma. Well, I like to say, particularly in the African-American community, uh, Tunde, that's a great point to say that people often like to, of course, forget about pain. Who wants to remember pain? Um, and I, I, I believe that you, you're seeing that play out within the African-American community a lot. And we're not addressing the trauma from, uh, you know, from, from slavery, from Jim Crow, you know, all of that is we, we all have relatives from that generation one way or another, at least from Jim Crow. We know people are at least some of the uh, era of Jim Crow and they were influenced by their parents. So, you know, that some of that trauma has really passed down. That's past trauma. We have that trauma. How do we deal with that? What do you think? I want to talk about that past trauma, historical trauma, dealing with that, how that's been built over from the legacy of discrimination and slavery in this country. And then I wanna talk about the current trauma that's going on that may have some result to past trauma, but I wanna talk about that too, the violence in our communities too. So let, 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 let's take one at a time. From a history point of view, uh, looking at all of the historical context and the trauma that the black community has gone through in this country, how do we address that going forward as a community and as a country?
1: Well, even those who were involved in social justice issues back in the day, if you will, during the Jim Crow era, civil rights movement, just, I mean, one of the most known figures, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, experienced extreme depression. And it was directly related to what he was experiencing in regards to the death threats, you know, on a daily basis, um, the pressure of the role that he was fulfilling and, what he was fighting for on behalf of not only himself and his family, but the whole United States, as far as blacks and the poor and lower class individuals. Um, So those pressures are still prevalent today with those who are fighting for social justice issues. I mean, we had a situation right here in Ohio uh, with the young man who committed suicide on the state house steps Um, and his tweet or uh, post before he did it was that forgive me, you know, my demons got me today. And, Unfortunately, those in the civil rights or social justice movement are continuing to face issues of depression, extreme depression, where it may have led to suicide. We may not hear about it a lot, but there are cases that have been reported and directly related to the work that they're doing in regards to social justice. So it's still prevalent. Um, But even so, dating back to Dr. Martin Luther King.
0: Uh, I, when when I watched uh, When They See Us, you know, that uh, documentary that just came out on Netflix, uh, what happened to those, uh, we're going to call them the Fighting Five, but what the media dubbed as the Central, the central Five. Central five Park black, Five, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. Central Park Five, those five black men that were, whose childhood was essentially taken away. That actually brought, uh, watching it brought me trauma. Right. Uh, and and, and, and uh, so you don't even have to be, Going through the exact same situation, you could see it going on from a distance, and then it also it sparked something in me. I said this on a, on a prior podcast, but you know it, it sparked my first interaction with police when I was in middle school, where I was you know put in the back of a car, and then I learned from my mother everything that happened. And she told me things that I didn't even remember happened that she had to go up there, uh, get the officer to get me out of there. And she was very confrontational with him. I didn't, I didn't remember that part of it at all. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing. Like, cause I had a very privileged childhood, but the fact that I can even block things out of my memory that I didn't even remember that I didn't even recall happening. What does it say to, you know, a, a black man who has to go in a community where, you know, he doesn't have the same privileges that I had, uh, where he's probably constantly harassed and hovered by, by right. law enforcement, uh, where he has to worry about other black men, frankly, in a, in a situation that's not safe. Imagine all the trauma that's built in. There's been research that's shown that kids that live in uh, you know, high crime, high poverty communities have just as much stress as soldiers that went to war. Mm-hmm. So think, So when we talk about the need to address mental health, it seems like it needs to be up and down all through our system, all throughout our schools in order to make sure that our kids have what they need to be successful. Does that seem correct?
1: Well, it's directly attributable to a lot of the issues that the public school system faces with students um, and not being on the same grade level as some of their peers in other school districts because they are dealing with a lot more issues, social issues outside of the school but it's impacting their academic success. Um, So it is important for our educators to be educated about uh, how to address those things, how to identify those things in the school. And I believe our school district, like Canton city schools does a great job in having services and uh, programs available for our youth. So despite whatever circumstances they may face in their neighborhoods or within their own homes, that they still have an opportunity to succeed, not only in school, their current grades, but, you know, in the future. But it, it does take a cognizant effort on behalf of the adults and our elected right. officials to understand and know the importance of those things and making sure that those things are available, not only in the school district, but in communities with CDBG, CDBG funds the community de- development block grant funds and other things that the monies are being spent for those programs that have the success rates of helping directly those people who most need it.
0: So Corey, how do you address making sure we have more, let's say culturally competent people in charge or, or getting people to be more uh, culturally competent? Because as kids seek help, as we and as we seek systemic solutions, uh, if we don't have people that really understand any mm-hmm. parts of the culture or the experiences we just talked about, uh, it becomes a lot more challenging to actually... Uh, Have successful impact and have successful results. Any suggestions?
1: Yes, I think that's the importance of board participation. Like a lot of these organizations are community-based nonprofit organizations and they need board members. They, we need people at the table that are aware of these issues and can be at the table, voice those issues for those who are not there. Even our elected officials, we have to be informed voters. We have to know where our elected officials or candidates stand on certain issues that they are aware and cognizant of the needs of the community that they want to represent. Even with our police departments, I appreciate all efforts for police departments that are trying to be more community oriented and working with the community and try to minimize the adversity between the community and the police departments. Organizations like the NAACP here locally do a lot to try to help um, address those types of issues. And then in the school system, our teachers, our principals, and even our school board members need to be aware of those that they are serving and the needs being met.
0: Corey, if you could, I mean, walk walk someone through, you said there were boards people can get involved with. How do people know what boards they can get involved with to have the most impact? Do you have any guidance on any resources you can kind of point people to? Like, this is a good place to go in order to, in order to have some impact in order to have some involvement.
1: Yes. Like for example, uh, you know, your local chamber of commerce, they probably have a relationship with the boards. We have a program called speed boarding and the organization will bring together um, different nonprofits that need board members and people who are interested in being boards. Like, That helps to match people. Also, just um, communicating, like if you are interested in working with the schools, contacting the principal or the superintendent at the school to volunteer. Many times they need people in the community to help uh, students to study, know how to study certain uh, areas, subject matter. Like if you're good at math, help them to be able to pass that senior exam or whatever the case may be. And many times they have projects in the community where they need to match up with an adult. So if you're interested in helping or being on a board, I would suggest thinking about like doing a self-assessment, determining what your interests are because you don't want to get on the board just to be on it by name, but you want to be able to have a passion for it or some kind of connection to what that board does, its mission, its purpose, and to make sure that's aligned with yours. So, for example, I've served on the Stark um, County Community Action Agency Board, that's a national uh, organization as far as Community Action Agency for Head Start programs, Early Head Start. Um, So if you're interested in helping children, that's a great program to uh, be more involved in early education of students before they go into the school system. And most importantly, just knowing right. what your values are so that they align with the organization that you ultimately work with.
0: Speaking specifically, and I'm, I'm probably going to come back to this later, but I want you to think about as we we're, we're focusing obviously on mental, mental health.
1: health. Yes. Um, <laughs>
0: You know, I want to actually think about that. But before I get there, I know, I know, Tunde, you had a quick comment on. Yeah, I
3: just wanted to, thanks Rob. I just wanted to allude back to, um, just when you went into the historic part, you know, from the history of black Americans and and some of the Jim Crow stuff and and all the way back to slavery and how that, that history also has a certain psychological memory that passes through the generations in a sense. And it got me thinking like 30,000 feet that, A lot of, you know, throughout history, there's been so many groups that have been oppressed. um, And and we know that. And I think we we have obviously a sensitivity to our own group that we find ourselves in. But to really answer that question, what I kind of realized is um, it takes two to tango. And I wrote down here yin and yang, kind of going back to the Eastern philosophy, which is basically we're not going to solve this problem in this country that you speak of with this psychological um, um, memory. Of, of, of injustices without both sides being able to really come to the table. And what I started thinking of was Charlottesville two years ago, and and not so much just the Charlottesville itself, but the symbolism that we still have not even solved the idea that the Confederacy lost and that their flags and, and their stuff shouldn't be on taxpayer funded land. Like we haven't even agreed about that as a country, and that's over 150 years ago. So. That's kind of what saddens me when I thought about it after you bring it up is that I think for us to solve that as an issue that might help with mental health and and the way people feel is both sides. And we're looking at it from one angle, which is our angle. But then there's a whole another group on the other side that has a history of whatever their, you know, their feelings were that got them to that point into where we are now. So until both sides decide that they can actually look at each other in the eyes and talk about it, I fear that this is going to continue for further generations. James. Well, Tunde, you know, like that's, you can't look at the extreme though, to, to do that because
2: part of the, the way that people were treated and have been treated is to demoralize, is to create that trauma, to make you subservient to make you to where you can't stand on your own two feet. like so. And there are still elements in this country that wants to do that. Yes, Part of absolutely. the Confederate it, it wants to intimidate it, wants to make you feel like this isn't your country. They like want to traumatize. Don't belong. Exactly. So <laughs> those people, but those people aren't, that's not who you need to work with though. Like that's not who we need to come to the table with. We need to isolate those people. The, the issue more so with Charlottesville was that that was being brought in and accepted by a mainstream, which was a departure actually from where it had been you know, a lot of what we see now is the emboldening of people who had been marginalized in large part. And now they're feeling like, Hey, you know, we, we actually can jump back into the mainstream. So, I mean, I think I agree with you that there needs to be reckoning, you know, in terms of everybody getting on the same page, but I just caution you in any endeavor to make progress, to try to, 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 to be weary of trying to reach out to the, an extreme of an element, because that extreme is never going to, to, if we're waiting for the validation from them, then it's not going to happen. Like, so we, we definitely, and I, I mean, I really, I honor what Corey does because he's taking the bull by the horns, you know, you control what you can control and try to, to bring the information, bring the services to where you can. And, you know, I say all that to say, you know, it, it's excellent. You know, thank you. And thank you for being Absolutely. here because that's, that's definitely, I'm, I'm so interested in everything you're saying because it's, it's so needed and it's so important.
0: But dealing with that, but to, to dealing with the stigma, and I want to talk about that of, Mental health, mental awareness, because to, to really solve those issues we just talked about in a collective context in order in order to make sure that, you know, I think people understand what we're talking about. The, the, the bigger issue is not the extremes, as Tunde said, but people that have privilege that are good people but don't understand the context of privilege and don't fully understand the psychological, the trauma and the effect that it's had on African-Americans. And they may not understand, some people that are very good people may not understand the effect of what the group dynamic is having on them. Understanding that from a mental health and a mental awareness point of view, understand this is not an attack on you, this is this is an understanding of human nature. If we can get people to understand, to view this in the context of you know, when we talk about racism and race, it is not saying you are an evil, horrible person. It is saying that when you when you factor in the human dynamic and you factor in all the psychological effects and all the context of this country, you can't help but have some feelings of racism, including black people, because it is how we have been programmed and we have to work through it talk through it, work with one another, we have, to, we have to get people to understand that we have to take that step together and it's an uncomfortable step to take. And I guess, uh, Corey, any thoughts on, you're you in a community that's pretty, that's pretty diverse, you, being, you were the first African-American elected citywide to city council, so you clearly have some ability to, to talk to many different constituents. How would you advise we go about that conversation when we think about it from that level? That makes sense.
1: Yeah, but it, it it is a point of working together and collaborating because ultimately, if the goal is to have a better community, then it takes those who are um, in the community throughout the community to be a part of it. But in order to make change, you have to work with those who want to make change. Um, so, as far as you know, dealing with those who are the extremists or you know whatever we got the left and the right and all this other kind of thing work with those who are willing to work on the common ground and to move forward with that. And in this case, and specifically with July being Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, it's an effort to try to decrease the stigma within our own community. You know, understanding that we face issues that other communities do not face. So while we're dealing with regular life issues, paying bills, having death, divorces, all this stuff, there is the additional stuff of racism or yep. seeing, you know, your friend get shot down or all these added traumas. So how do we deal with it? And how do we
0: avoid the stigma too? Cause I want to just guide this a little bit. I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah. but no I want to guide this a little bit to say, you know, the, the African-American community generally, because we dealt with all the issues you just discussed. Yes. We were, we're people of great faith and, and generally it's, yes. you know, well, just, Hey, look, you're dealing with mental issues. Go pray about it. Jesus right. will take care of it. All right. I mean,
1: I did a presentation at a church and the title was, you know, God does not give you more than you can bear. And that's exactly right, because there are services in the community. There are things that you can do. Yes, you can go pray. You can go to church. But there's also medication. There's yoga. There's, you know, going to exercise, getting sunlight, there's other things and you shouldn't be ashamed. It doesn't make you less of a Christian because you use other sources of uh, dealing with your depression or if you have other mental health issues and needing medication, it is okay. Essentially, that is what we're saying. So yes, we acknowledge and we give all praise and honor to God, but there is a reason why these things are here. You know, we talked about Eastern, Western, but, you know, in uh, more in the Eastern cultures, there's less medication, more holistic type of things. Uh, Whatever the case may be, there's medication as well. So it's up to you to know what those things are, know what your choices and options are and figuring out what is best for you um, in your mental health. And so in our community, decreasing the stigma because it's like automatically, no, I'm not going to the uh, counselor. I'm not. You know, using that word "crazy" or whatever the word may be, Um, but it's okay if you go to counseling. It's okay if it doesn't mean that you are need to get committed involuntarily just because you go to the counselor. So that is a way to minimize the stigma, just simply talking about it. And this has been talked about in things that we don't may not even realize, like the play fences that uh, Denzel Washington um, made into a movie. The brother in that movie was dealing with mental health. You know, the secret that she kept. That was a TV movie on TV one that was dealing with mental illness. The soloist with Jamie Foxx that was dealing with mental illness. B.B. Moore Campbell's book, 72 Hour Hold. It's a fictional book, but I believe it's based off of experiences she had with her daughter, Mia, uh, Maya Campbell, talking about mental illness. So just different ways to talk about it and acknowledge it and know that it is real and there are ways to live a full, healthy life with mental illness or mental health issues.
0: So uh, let's, let's uh, as we go, go towards conclusion, let's th- let's actually talk about how we get people help, call to action. Where can people go, particularly African Americans, to find help with people that are culturally competent that can understand where, where, there's some resources online, uh, some national organizations. Where do people start? Where do you get guidance? I'm a, you're at a place where you know you want to seek help, but you're not sure where to go. Where would you advise I recommend
1: to go? always NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, because that is a national organization and they have chapters throughout the country. And even just doing a search for NAMI would bring up local uh, organizations in your area. For example, we have here Coleman Behavioral Health or Stark Mar, which is Stark mental health and addiction recovery services so within your specific area just typing in or doing a search for behavioral health information or behavioral health services you can find what's available locally in your area Um, but on a national level national alliance on mental illness which has chapters throughout the country
0: all right i appreciate that James. you had a question
2: yeah, I wanted to ask, uh, Tunde actually uh, alluded to this earlier, um, but I was very interested I was very interested in getting your thoughts on, um, I know the issue of diet comes up and particularly the the, the types of foods that are readily available um, for low cost and, and or in, in lower income neighborhoods and how those may not be conducive to a properly functioning body, you know? And so how is that something we can really address? And just for example, like for it, like for me. Um, my brain goes more haywire if I don't get enough magnesium, either through my food or supplement or whatever. Like I, I guess I use a lot of magnesium or whatever, but like, so I know if I'm feeling a little antsy, I can take some magnesium or eat some salad and, you know, things like that. And I'll be back to my normal self, but like that's, I pay attention closely to how I feel after I eat. But in general though, not everybody has the ability to, to, or the time to kind of pay attention to how certain foods make them feel. Um, and you know, certain foods are really just processed stuff and not really food, but where, how can you do that with a lot of times in such uh, limited availability of food or in resources?
1: Well, yeah, I think it's very important to pay attention to things like that. And, um, you know, just recently I just participated in this this program to bring awareness to food scarcity and uh, food desert issues in communities, which is a very important issue in understanding how food can make you sick or I can make you feel better. And unfortunately, things that are junk food related cost less and are more readily available in our communities. So I think it's important to pay attention to how your body responds and, Uh, reacts to certain types of foods that you eat, what makes you feel better, you know, heavy, bloated versus light and refreshed, and try to tailor your diet accordingly. However, in many communities, you don't have choices like that, you know, And, and you have to deal with what you have. But as you have more knowledge about things and uh, maybe finding out sources, because again, here in Stark County, we have an organization called Stark Fresh. And its purpose is to um, provide fresh fruits and vegetables to those communities that don't have it, for people that don't have transportation. So they take like a mobile grocer to the people, to the neighborhoods, you know, to the project developments. Um, And it's very helpful. Uh, Helps in food desert issues and just to address all of that.
0: That, that that that's great you know so corey was, is a is a recovering uh politician like myself <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know used to be on city council and it's so unfortunate she had to step down because uh, you talked about this you had to choose between mm-hmm keeping your private job or keeping public service.
1: My full-time and, and my part-time job. Actually, right. both of them are public jobs. Um, you know, yes. so I am general counsel for a housing authority. And then the city council was also a public position.
0: Yeah, but what's so unfortunate is that you have so much to offer. And I'll, I'm making this point to talk about you, but also to talk about the greater problem in finding good people you have to either be independently wealthy or just be already in politics and people complain all the time about not having uh, good options with public service, but we have a system that incentivizes people to not be involved in the system. They, first of all, don't they pay them low, you know this, like no one, <laughs> I don't care what they say, the people that you say are making money in politics, that's, 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 not, that's not hardly anyone. I don't know many right. rich politicians. Um, that's, that's what people are putting out there, but I wanna just say thank you for what you do
1: Thank and you. I hope,
0: and I hope more people understand, you know, mental health and the importance of uh, public servants. Uh, as we close, I want to ask you, though, kind of kind of like a legacy question. So you're, you're, you're obviously grounded in public service and uh, that's your focus. So let, let, let's let's say there's a billboard that's written about you. What would that say and why? We'll close on that. <laughs>
1: Hashtag driven because I am. And that is actually why my book is titled hashtag driven. And now I have a single that's coming out on Thursday and it's also titled hashtag driven. It sums up all the things that all the obstacles that I've overcome in my life and still willing to like this latest thing I felt was a a big obstacle to. Whatever my career is going to be from henceforward, but I am willing, determined, motivated to continue to press forward and to help other individuals to overcome any obstacles in their lives to press forward. Because life is hard, you know, and that's the significance of talking about mental health, because any of us can get tripped up at any given time and you just need to understand that you can make it out of it. You know, and be hashtag driven. All right. That was a good hashtag
0: driven. Nice. Corey Miner nice. Smith, it's a pleasure to have you on. You have a you have a podcast coming up called Driven Too, right?
1: Well, it's my single. It comes out Thursday. It's, it's okay. available on all music platforms. Yep. All right. Okay. I'm
0: looking forward to it. So you're
1: singing? Thank you. I am. And rapping. Oh, my! Oh, tri- wow. My tribute bars. to MC Oh, Light. wow. <laughs> 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 it's my tribute to MC Light. <laughs> all right. All right. All right.
0: We're going we're gonna to check that out and promote it. If okay. you can, send me all that information via email. What we'll do, we have a YouTube show. We also, of course, have a podcast. We'll embed all that in to make sure people know where to get the resources so they can learn more about you. I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a great uh, participating on, in this program with you guys.